Welcome in again to another episode of Patient No Longer, the NRC Health podcast that digs into trends, themes, implications for this healthcare world as we're starting off in 2022. And we've got a familiar face back with us, and that is Bert McClosey. He is a marketing and brand guru who has done a lot of work with NRC Health over the years, a lot of work in the United States and in Canada. We have had Bert on before to talk about overall trends. He's a guy who keeps his pulse on the communities and what's going on digitally. And also, we're going to apply that very directly today for healthcare. What are specific trends? How are they hitting healthcare at a time when healthcare is chaotic? And what can healthcare be doing to better position itself, promote itself? And how can healthcare organizations better market themselves during such a strange and challenging time? Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. It is great to have you back with us today, Bert. Thank you, it's it's nice to be back and looking forward to part two. It's always fun to be able to continue these conversations on and dig a little bit deeper. One of the things that you talked about in a trends report recently is that you see three big trends specifically hitting healthcare hard. And I wanna dig into those more today. And those three trends are consumerism, automation, and consolidation. Can you go piece by piece and talk about how those three trends specifically are going to hit healthcare in 2022? Absolutely. Again, those three trends being consumerism, automation, and consolidation isn't any different than what's happening in overall trends. And like any sector, it's going to be affected. So healthcare sector being part of a larger marketing trend, there are going to be areas there that are specific to healthcare, but also part of a larger picture. And those three things are all part of a larger picture. So in terms of consumerism and consumerization, the whole component here is what we've seen before COVID of places like Walgreens and CVS and Target having their own walk-in clinics type idea. That's going to continue. And what it's going to happen is now since COVID, people are more into convenience through e-commerce, et cetera, anything that's going on. So the whole convenience thing, starting from e-commerce in terms of buying your groceries and having it delivered home, that idea of convenience, which is critical, which we spoke about last session, is going to translate to healthcare in terms of consumerism. If people want convenience, obviously, as well as quality of healthcare, but things that aren't non-essential components in terms of you don't have a healthcare emergency, you can do a lot of those things at a convenient location. That being, again, CVS, you've seen all sorts of things. There's some over like a thousand retail locations within CVS that have a walk-in clinic component. That convenience and that trend is going to continue. The critical component there is an opportunity, and some people have already done it, is the whole idea of co-branding that component to have the convenience as well as the quality uh, Province Express is, is doing that, obviously, at Walgreens. There's opportunities for other people, for example, Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, to partner and co-brand. Because if I'm going into an area not specific for healthcare, grocery store, whatever it is, if you happen to have a branded, trusted brand, that's going to help. 
And that whole idea, I think there's a huge opportunity there for the healthcare sector to leverage that space and that space in terms of convenience, bringing the quality along with that convenience. Yeah, that's so crucial. And that's something that we've talked about in the past is extending your brand, collaborating with your brand and healthcare really hasn't done it on a wide enough, most impressive scale that other industries have seen. Urgent cares have largely been built just this century. There's over 2000 of them in the States here. And a lot of them are sort of standalone. And then you have healthcare systems that have built their own and done it from the ground up when I think partnerships would have maybe made more sense, especially in the consumer's eyes. But that was a great example on consumerism. Talk to me about the second trend, and that is automation. Because I think automation, it has like dual effect on the different types of people. Some people hear automation and say, thank goodness, we've got shortages. We've got burnout. We've got traveling nurses, especially in, in healthcare, we've been hit hard. But other people see automation as it's taking away jobs or it's trying to replace the human experience with something that's less than human. Where are you at on automation and how do you see it disrupting healthcare? Well, automation, again, healthcare is a subset of society. So whatever is happening from a societal and marketing trend point of view overall from a macro perspective, there's going to be things that are happening in a micro perspective. So automation is happening everywhere from a consumerism point of view. And healthcare is no different. The thing is, healthcare needs to be able to accept it and adapt it and grasp it and welcome it. And it could be highly efficient. Everything from having digital assistance. So again, if someone needs to make an appointment to see the doctor, that appointment could be either physical or virtual saying, it's time for your annual physical or your six-month checkup or whatever the case may be. Automation could send you an instant email saying, this is when your appointment needs to be. And by the way, Part of that appointment, again, just getting your basic statistics in terms of weight, height, blood pressure, et cetera, that can be done virtually, that can be done automated fashion through a digital assistant, that type of idea versus having to physically go into a doctor's office to get all those things that are, from a healthcare perspective, are quite rudimentary and easy to monitor and easy to register. So that's an example. The other component in terms of, it's not strictly automation as in terms of artificial intelligence. Digital assistance is that in terms of artificial intelligence, but things such as having the information with a healthcare provider or nurse or something doing that virtually on his or her tablet, that type of idea, or on the website, having that information from a patient point of view, you get a reminder saying, go to our website and fill out all these forms, or basically you can do half your physical online, not having to come into a physical space. That's an example of automation. That's obviously a bit of a hybrid but it breeds efficiency and it also helps in terms of alleviate some of the bottlenecks that are happening right now in the healthcare sector. Again, that whole bottleneck thing, because of COVID, obviously it's there. There are different ways of getting around it and automation is one of those areas. Yeah, you know, that's such an optimistic way to look at it. And I really think that's what's going to play out too. I mean, I think we always have that fear of automation is going to take jobs, but really when we look across sectors, oftentimes it actually ends up creating more jobs. And oftentimes we have to fill in those roles that we have shortages on. I mean, we have a nursing shortage in healthcare. We have a primary doc shortage. And I don't see those things necessarily getting better. In fact, a little worried that we're going to see even more resignations as we emerge from COVID and people choose other career paths. So we've got to have answers in order to fill those positions and keep things running. I do want to focus then on the third piece, which is consolidation. You know, consolidation was something for years we're watching it. It seems like, you know, in Becker's, you'd see Here's 10 more mergers that are happening and the Department of Justice is getting involved. And I remember seeing speakers say in 2015, by 2020, there's going to be 
30 health systems left in the U.S. And here we are well past that. There's a lot more than 30 systems. And I think this specter of mass consolidation sort of temporarily faded because of COVID and because people weren't doing it. I mean, they were sucking wind financially. Where are we at with consolidation now? Because you're talking about it again. You're saying, look out. How do you see over the next, say, 18 to 24 months, what does the consolidation picture look like for healthcare? Well, once you get past this triage mentality, which obviously had to happen through COVID and the pandemic, is consolidation is going to continue, particularly in this sector. Obviously, healthcare is a really complex sector. And having those efficiencies and having various points of view coming together and bringing the strengths of various healthcare sectors, one healthcare system might be strong in one area, but weak in another one. Then you consolidate with those two strengths to bring it together versus, to your point, trying to build it and try to construct it on your own. That takes a long time to do and it's expensive. That's the way it's going to happen. Some of the things in terms of what's happening in other sectors, bigger is better is definitely happening. You see that in the tech sector of Amazon, Facebook, Google. Again, that's the macro perspective. Bring it back to the micro perspective. That's going to continue to happen here because you need to have that, lack of a better term, muscle and financial strength, as well as the capacity from all the healthcare providers and the physicians and the nurses and the staff to be able to do these type of things. So yeah, it's going to continue. Well, I know several brand consultants who work on mergers and made quite the living from, let's say, 2010 to 2020 in healthcare who are going to be excited to hear that. You know, when I hear you talk about the brand piece, it makes perfect sense. At the Governance Institute, which is a service of NRC Health, we convene executives. I've heard a roundtable of CFOs talking about all the advantages of scaling their business, of reducing care variation, of creating the systemness, if you will. It makes a lot of sense to the company and the bottom line. And inside the organization, I think it's talked about a lot. But a question would be on the outside to consumers, because there's a couple layers to this. It seems like we're not always quick to brand ourselves as one system in healthcare to consumers. We often will keep legacy brands, or as you know, we'll put a little endorsement on there that this nice Saint Elsewhere is owned by Global Health Corporation, but it's underneath the rest of the text. And we've always debated what that means and if that's something that's confusing to consumers. Do you see the external representation of branding in healthcare? Is that going to become clearer? Are we going to get bolder and say, if we're one organization, we're going to truly, from the inside out, brand as one so that people know they're having the same experience? Or do you see healthcare continuing to kind of play that game of trying to maintain those individual brands, but still reap the benefits of systemness? Well, it comes down to the whole brand architecture. So from an inside looking out, all the things you mentioned in terms of consolidation is critical and to have scale. And there are efficiencies internally. So you have to basically able to leverage those efficiencies externally. That comes down to the brand. You need to have one brand voice, not 15 brand voices under the same umbrella. That's complex. It's expensive. The best way to do it is to have one brand. There are various examples of people who have done it well. And Cleveland Clinic is one of them. Mayo Clinic is another one, obviously. And not to highlight those, but they've done a pretty good job. And they're kind of pioneers in terms of doing that. So other places have to do that component as well, because consumers have a specific relationship with those two that I mentioned, or at least there's instant credibility, even though they've never experienced it because they're world-renowned as an example. So again, you can have one, I'm picking on Cleveland Clinic in a good way here. And by the way, I'm not getting any endorsement from Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> it's the component is, well, you could be outside of Cleveland 
and still have Cleveland Clinic. And again, that's the whole branding component. And same thing with Mayo Clinic. You don't have to be in Minnesota for that to happen. The reason it happens is because there's instant credibility because the world we have. So if you look at from if you're a regional player and want to expand, you still take that same type of idea from the playbook of keeping that brand simple and expanding as much as you can. But you can have 14 or 15 variations of that brand. It comes down to that brand relationship. You want to have that consistent relationship and that builds loyalty. And then what happens is the healthcare sector is notorious for everything being inbound. Is if someone needs something, they come to that healthcare system. It has to be more outbound in terms of why, as a consumer, I should be selecting you. I might not need you now, but I might need you in the future. And if that brand relationship is there, it's going to go a long way of saying, I'm going to use you when I need you. So that relationship between inbound and outbound branding and that loyalty and making anything that's really large under one brand voice is critical for success. I love the fact that you know you did this previously and you're doing it today, just constantly being able to cite examples. And I would add one into the fray of when there's that fear of having the one master brand take over. And you have very strong lobbying sometimes from individual hospitals who are getting gobbled up in these mergers and acquisitions saying, we've got a really strong local brand. Let's hold on to it. And for years, and, and I think through the struggles we've had together, they would be fine with us discussing this, but Partners Healthcare on the East Coast, which you may not know as Partners, it's changed now, but for many years, their corporate brand was Partners, but they were trying to do an overarching brand and keep Massachusetts General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital, as well as several other brands in their portfolio. And it was sort of that smush of putting it all together and making it a family of brands and a house of brands. And ultimately, our research through Market Insights revealed that it wasn't working. They weren't expanding out beyond the brand that they had. And the partner's corporate brand really had no awareness at all. And so they've now pivoted, to use one of your favorite words, to this Mass General Brigham brand using their two strongest brands and trying to create that as a master brand. But it can be a slog. You know, we worked with Baylor and Scott and & White as they came together and kept Baylor, Scott & White. And they've seen some good success on that brand. But you wonder, does that sound like one brand? Not exactly. And, you know, you've seen Providence on the West Coast. They're recently now dropping the St. Joseph and just going with Providence because there was still that feeling that it was multiple systems when in fact it was one. So I agree with you that we're inching closer towards full transparency there of, hey, if we're one organization, we're willing to state that and be very clear in our brand intentions. But staying with brand for a beat, you talk about the rebirth of the brand and the digital components of that. Let's continue on this brand architecture conversation because sometimes the architecture looks good on the physical infrastructure, like the signs have all matched now. We spent millions on redoing the signs. They all looked that we got rid of the sign from 1982 that said County Hospital still, and it all matches. And then you go online, which you often do first, and the brand architecture falls apart. Talk to me about that piece of this, because it seems to me that we can't fully grow our brand if we're not now taking into account those important virtual components of it. Totally agree. Brands have multiple touch points. So the way it used to be traditionally is there's one touch point and that would be physically going to the hospital or that healthcare sector or that healthcare system. Obviously that's no longer the case. Again, from a macro perspective, most people when they're going through a decision, purchase decision process, they're starting it digitally. It could be basically on their phone. That's the way they're starting. And we're seeing that type of trend, same thing for healthcare. So having the same color sign, which is great on your building to your point, 
But if you have something completely different in terms of there isn't integration and the same brand voice across everything that they're doing, it's going to be a disaster because there's some confusion in the marketplace. So yeah, your website has to be the same. The things that spoken about just a moment ago about outbound traffic, that brand loyalty has to be a consistent voice across everything that you do because there are multiple entry points in terms of how a patient or a potential consumer comes to know your healthcare system. So that's critical for success. It seems like it's such an interesting time as we emerge from COVID. As you know, hospitals and health systems always struggled to differentiate before the pandemic. It seems like they were all some shade of blue or maybe green. You were all kind of using classical music and advertising and trying to be high tech and trying to be high touch and compassionate. There was already a brand blur that we sometimes discussed in the past. Now, all those health systems have been spending two years essentially echoing each other. Do you see any sort of fallout from that? And I suppose from a messaging standpoint, is there going to be a point where everyone sort of switches to other messaging and gets back to what they do as an organization and tries to differentiate? Or do you see some getting out ahead of that and some still talking about COVID to the very end? I mean, what's going to happen with brand messaging in healthcare? Because what we've seen in the last two years has been quite abnormal. Totally abnormal because last time we had a pandemic was 100 years ago. Right now, it was everyone uh, from a healthcare sector point of view and the various healthcare systems saying, okay, well, we kind of need to put that on the side, as painful that sounds, because we have a global pandemic and we have other priorities. Coming out of the pandemic, it's going to be back to those components. And there's an interesting opportunity to almost restart and saying, just like any good marketer in healthcare sector and healthcare system of marketers is, what are your strengths? Play with those strengths. Do your own SWOT analysis. What are your strengths? Where are the weaknesses internally? Where are the opportunities and threats externally? So again, marketing 101, do your SWOT analysis. And then from there, understanding, let's go. If we're going to be focusing on one or two things, let's do those things well versus doing four or five things. Because if you're a large player, yeah, you might be able to have the capabilities to do everything well. If you're a regional player, you probably don't have the infrastructure or the finances to do all those things. So do the one or two things well, brand it that way, and focus in on that. So it happens in packaged goods. It happens in other types of marketing areas. And the same thing needs to happen in the healthcare sector. It's such an interesting thing to think about is picking back up, having that reset and saying, what do we want to do? It's like when you've done a brand campaign for a rebrand, as we were talking about earlier, and then you decide, okay, people know about this. What do we talk about next? And you and I have had some very colorful conversations about all the ways in which brands, healthcare and outside of healthcare, try to differentiate themselves. We've even talked about the use of TikTok and Instagram Reels and influencers. So I have to ask you this. We worked recently with a health system that you know, Bell & Health in Wisconsin, who used a spokesperson, used to see this more in the 80s and 90s. They actually used an actor who was a local actor who got quite famous. He actually started starring in shows like Better Call Saul and doing movies. But he would always do this pitch where he would say, we are Bell and Health. And he was sort of the face that was continuous on throughout. Do you like the idea of the influencer or the mascot or just the human being who represents a brand? Are we going to see any tactics like that start to come back out as we move through COVID? Or do you think that a lot of those things are going to stay in the past and we're going to see something completely different? Great question. So in terms of, again, the way the whole world is going from a marketing point of view of digital being the forefront, having social media, having influencers, 
the healthcare sector and specific healthcare systems can leverage that. But instead of having a celebrity as an actor being the spokesperson, it's all about authenticity. And again, that's perhaps an overused term. But in this sector, in terms of healthcare, you have to be authentic and you have to be genuine. So an influencer doesn't have to be a celebrity or social influencer. It could be someone from the actual healthcare system, a surgeon, a physician, a nurse, a combination of all those things. Those are the influencers because they can talk about their daily experience in terms of what's happening of actually being at that hospital or being at that clinic. You can do 15, 20 second TikTok segments in terms of the day in the life of what they're doing and how they're helping patients. And then also from a patient perspective, what they're seeing, it would be this whole relationship between healthcare provider person, as well as the patient. And that could work from an influencer point of view. So it's not someone who's, again, you don't have a Kardashian doing a healthcare system component because that's inauthentic and doesn't have any credibility and it's going to hurt your brand, obviously. But if you have someone with credibility within that healthcare system being the influencer, that goes a long way. And again, that's taking what's happening in the marketplace, generally speaking, overall marketing, taking that trend and customizing and adapting it to your sector, which is the example I'm providing right now. So there's a huge opportunity there. And brand marketers have to think like that, particularly the ones in the healthcare system. Think as a brand marketer. And there's all sorts of opportunities there for you. It seems like there's many opportunities, and I really like the examples you use. It's got a spokesman-like quality to it, but it doesn't have to be specifically a spokesman when you're using authentic people and authentic comments. And what we've always found through our work that advertising that features real feedback from real patients or testimonials tends to be stronger and resonate more with its audience than without. I have to ask you this too, in terms of humanizing brands in that way, you know, we're coming out of COVID where we're talking a lot about working together and being stronger together. You had the healthcare heroes movement. As brands emerge from this in healthcare and try to figure out what they're going to say next, do they need to refocus on humanizing healthcare? You've talked about the misinformation out there. Obviously, in our country, you're no stranger to our political division. Do we need to double down on the human components of healthcare? Or do we still have any of that sort of halo from the healthcare heroes movement and we'd be able to move on to other ideas. Where do you think brands should emerge from this? One needs to move on. Obviously, it's been a trying 24 months, and it might be another trying 12 months as we get out of this predicament that we're in. But again, going with the strengths of the various healthcare systems, from a branding point of view, that's what one needs to focus in on. Again, as mentioned before, doing the whole SWOT analysis component, what are your strengths going with that? The human element always has to be there. doesn't matter if it's digital or automation. At the end of the day, brand relationships, there has to be some type of human connection. And that could be a human connection, which is a physical connection or a virtual connection. It still has to happen. So that branding component moving forward, again, all the visionaries in the various healthcare systems, when you're doing your three-year, five-year plan, obviously what you did 24 months ago, you could throw that out the window. But moving forward is saying, what's our brand vision? Where do we want to be? post-pandemic. And this is the time where you have the opportunity to relook at that. It's been a huge struggle. Now we're moving forward. As we mentioned, this is an opportunity to reset. And what are your brand values? What do you want to be? And this is the perfect time to do those type of things. Yeah, it's interesting having you say that because I was talking to a healthcare executive about five-year planning, which was the process they were on pre-COVID. And they said, we threw out our five-year plan and adopted a five-day plan. And I think a lot of the industry has been on these sort of recurring five-day one month plans for just surviving and trying to advance through this. 
And now they've got a real opportunity coming out of it. So in that regard, you're a, a bit of a futurist yourself. And you've talked a bit about artificial intelligence, machine learning. You know, we're hearing about all these new interesting things like blockchain and NFTs. And I'm just curious, bringing this back down to the healthcare experience at the patient level, are there things that come out of artificial intelligence and machine learning that you think will make it all the way down to the patient level? If I'm a patient in healthcare in, say, the next 12, 18 months, is there anything that I'm going to experience that is going to be as the result of one of these new innovations going forward? Well, one of the key areas there is going to be the infrastructure internally and what do healthcare systems do with all the data that they have? So for automation, machine learning would be great because if you have a patient and they go to two or three different places within your healthcare system, you have to have the infrastructure and automation to making sure if they see a doctor in one city and another doctor in another city or nurse, that that information is transferred versus starting all over again. So there's a huge database that needs to be automated so it's simple to use. And you have all that information on a tablet versus a folder because obviously that's completely inefficient. So from an automation point of view, that's going to be uh, something that the healthcare sector really needs to look at on an individual healthcare system basis. From an overall consumer point of view of AI and virtual reality and augmented reality, right now, I don't see that happening in the healthcare system yet, but the whole idea as trends emerge, as again, we're having this conversation, overall marketing trends, healthcare systems need to look at those trends and be aware of them saying, how is that going to affect my specific healthcare system? Same thing with VR and AI and all those type of things, early stages, but again, keep an eye on it and see how that's going to be able to transform or do things slightly differently in this sector. It is interesting to think about. In fact, one of our first guests on Patient No Longer podcast earlier last year, so spring 2021, talked about a product that we acquired, this idea of stories or of patients providing wisdom about themselves, 15, 30-second snapshots where they can say what's important to them for preferences, express their needs. It has little fun facts that the doctor should remember but doesn't always but if that didn't integrate into the electronic medical record, it's a non-starter because there's so much data that has to be integrated and organized and collected. And we too are fighting that battle, trying to get some of the basic components of what a patient wants us to know about them to get it into the record, so to speak, so that it can be a constant part of the care experience. You do such a good job talking about all of these trends, talking about what's coming next, it gives me some excitement about the future while we're still in the throes of COVID and in semi-lockdowns, both of us for different reasons in different parts of the world. But I have to ask you this as we close, Bert, if someone is starting day one in a marketing or strategy role in healthcare in the US, what is one piece of advice you would give them right now, starting out 2022, that would be very important for them to get off on the right foot for this year? That's a loaded question. I love it. Here's the elevator speech. Look what's happening in the marketplace, not now. Look at it post-pandemic. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where are those opportunities? Where are those threats? What's your vision as the brand? Think of that and put that plan together and put in the plan together now. So if I'm on the second floor, that's what I would say. By the time I get to the 15th floor, I would give a more elaborate component on that and look at it from a consumer perspective. What's in it for the patient? Think of it from outbound and not inbound. Have that be consumer centric and look at your strengths and go from there. I really like that because, you know, really the strategic imperative is going to be once COVID is receding, at least from our psyche, what are you going to talk about? 
and what is going to be a strength. And I agree. I think we've got to be thinking about that now if we want to be successful. And if we're not, it could spell trouble. Right now, healthcare is at the forefront because there's a pandemic. Post-pandemic, it's not going to be at the forefront. It's not on the front page of every website and everything else. So it's going to be in the background. So as a brand marketer at a healthcare system, what do I do to maintain myself front and center for a positive reason versus how many people are on the ICU beds? So that's going to be another challenge. That's a great point. I was already kind of visualizing that post-COVID when that thinking of a tide that goes back out and you know you see some seashells on the sand. I mean, what are people planting now that's going to survive post-COVID that will catch someone's attention? It's not even that healthcare won't be on top of mind. We're going to like want to not think about it. We're going to want to like get away from it and think about anything else. So I think that's going to be a real challenge. One of the things I would look at right now, if I would be in one of those healthcare systems running the brand is saying the strategy is to talk about preventive medicine everything forefront and positive in terms of what can I do to be a better person so that way I don't have to use a healthcare system and put in all sorts of tips, that type of idea. Obviously, those things are still going to happen, but we don't want people coming to a healthcare system in terms of when they're in need. Obviously, they're going to do that, but the whole idea of being positive and what you can do to prevent things goes a long way from a credibility point of view. So when the consumer actually does need you for something that's not preventative, they're going to go to your brand and your system versus somebody else's. Precisely. This is great. By the way, we've linked to this in the recording, but Bert has an entire report on a lot of his trends. You do this every year as part of your company, Joseph Brand Consulting, and it really is a wonderful well of information. I really appreciate just on a friend level too, that you joined us for two parts of the Patient a Little Longer podcast. So I want to give you my thanks, Bert. It was a pleasure, and it's always great talking to you about healthcare. So thank you for having me. Well, wonderful. And again, we'd like to conclude by saying Bert covered the gambit here. He discussed a lot about branding and brand extensions in what are we using to market ourselves post-COVID. We've really got to be thinking about where this is going, not where it is right now. And there are some exciting developments in the future that we can hook onto as we emerge from this. So give this a full listen, the full two parts if you haven't yet. And we will be joining you again on an upcoming episode of Patient No Longer, an NRC Health podcast.